0: value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henninger and I'm your host. Today we have two great podcast guests, Jan Svenda of Svendamanual.com and David Flood of ElementaryValue.com. Please welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks, uh, Trey. Thanks for having us.
0: So I think the best way for us to get started here is if each of you can give me kind of an introduction about who you are, um, what you do, and, and kind of your background with investing. So how about we start first with Jan, and then we'll go to David.
1: Sure, Um so uh, basically I started uh, investing about 10 years ago and um, uh, through the rocky road of value investing and uh, different um, kind of styles of value investing I ended up focusing mostly on the OTC market um, about three or four years ago um, and uh, I started out as an independent analyst. Um, I started writing for Seeking Alpha actually as well for a bit and then I created my own newsletter uh, specifically focused on the OTC uh, because I saw the opportunities there and I was intrigued by it and um, it made sense basically um, the the stocks that I was seeing and and the situations and um, I created a newsletter I ran it for about two years um, um, uh, was sharing long ideas and basically creating a huge database of stocks that are meaningful in the OTC land I mean, as we will get more into it, you know, you will understand that there are some things in the OTC market, which makes it harder to find interesting companies, actually, because a lot of them are still pump and dumps. And so these newsletter kind of... mm, Uh, provided me with the opportunity to actually research uh, the whole market find some interesting stocks and also create a database um, out of uh, out of the stocks that are that are meaningful and um, uh, one or two years after uh, me and David basically decided to um, uh, to collaborate and create uh, that database and make it online because back back then when I was running the newsletter was basically an Excel spreadsheet which was not very useful user-friendly and um, and uh, we we got together and we basically um, created with uh, with another David actually with the IT IT, uh, IT guy um, we created um, online database of OTC uh, of these stocks that I've covered previously in the manual and that David uh, covered as well so that's kind of uh, our current focus or uh, where I'm coming from uh, from now as well I do some short selling on the side but uh, uh, but from the OTC perspective that's kind of uh, my uh, my introduction
0: Awesome. And how about we hear from you, David?
2: Ah, so I got interested in investing back in around 2013. Um, I came across a video Warren Buffett on YouTube and um, found it quite interesting what he was talking about with regards to um, value investing and intrinsic value and uh, margin of safety. Uh, So that prompted me to start kind of studying it a bit more. And then I discovered the work of um, Benjamin Graham Um, And from there, I got more interested in looking at net-net investing, um, which kind of led me to start looking at smaller and smaller companies. Um, And then after a few years of kind of doing that, I started to come across uh, people that were writing about the -the over-the-counter markets. So there was Dave Waters of Over-the-Counter Adventures and Dan Shum of No Name Stocks. Uh, And I found their work to be really interesting. And then I also came across Jan's work. Uh, the newsletter that he was writing about, the -the over-the-counter markets. Um, And I realized that this was a really interesting arena for private investors that were using small amounts of capital. It was a good place for them to look for interesting investments. I then um, started my own website, Elementary Value, where I started to write about these small companies that I was finding on the -the over-the-counter markets (laughs) Um, And then more recently, I connected with Jan and we decided to kind of build upon the work that he'd done in the past with the newsletter and the Spender's Manual of Over-the-Counter Stocks. Um, We've now collaborated and created a database where we've basically um, uploaded all the stocks that we've come across that we think are meaningful investments on the OTC markets. Um, And we've kind of uh, ranked them into Different groups, depending on how how they report, and um, we've provided fundamental data for um, all the different companies as well. So that's really where where my stories come from, and where I am now.
0: That's great. So when we think about what we wanted to talk about today, we thought it would be great to cover some key topics here. And the first was I wanted to discuss the product that y'all have developed: this ODC manual, this database that investors can use to find stock ideas and then i want to talk about a couple stock picks that can help people understand the types of businesses that they might find in the database and then um we want to end with discussing the sec ruling on dark stocks how that potentially affects some of the stocks in your database how that potentially affects investors that are focused on the otc market which is really an area that i think individual investors can thrive with um So that's kind of the structure for our audience to understand what we want to talk about today. But let's begin with the OTC manual, this product that y'all have created. What is the selling point here? Um, I know a lot of investors want to help find stock ideas. So how can investors use this new database to identify companies that are worth investing in? And that's for whichever one of you wants to first take that.
1: I can I can start with that. Um, so basically the whole idea about the database is that the OTC market has one uh, problem and that is that um, it's large and most of the stocks are not interesting. So, um, you know, if you go to the OTC market, the U.S. list companies or U.S. based companies, basically there is about 7000 of them and uh most of those are just worthless they're not really worth following because either they're shells or they're pump and dumps and these kind of things just businesses that are not really that interesting but Um, I believe that there is about 400, 500 stocks that are worth um, following. And of course, that number kind of uh, increases and decreases over time. But that's kind of like the fraction of the market, which is uh, which is worth following from the reason that the stocks that are, uh, you know, uh, are there in this group are actually, you know, normal operating businesses uh, or perhaps legal opportunities or something where, um, you know, if you dig in uh, to the story, you might find an investment opportunity. And so the whole problem to find those stocks, find those five, find those five, four hundred or five hundred uh, stocks, is that the best way to go about that is to do A to Z research, uh, as some OTC investors like to say, which is basically that you pull the seven thousand stocks, the uh, the the whole the, uh, the whole uh, basically list, and you go about one by one, right? You just start and you start looking into each one in each stock and try to understand, you know, whether there's some leftover opportunity or whether the business is still around and things like that i uh, just given the, you know, the state of the OTC market with a lot of the companies being dark or not reporting to the SEC and so on and so forth. So um, that's the best way to do that, because that way you cannot miss an opportunity, right? Like that, that way you can really understand the market. But that is, of course, is very time, cons- kind of time consuming, right? So, um, you uh, you know, uh, only few people really can have the time to do A to Z uh, the most efficient way. Uh, of going through the market, and that's where we thought, well, you know, we both have a lot of the stocks that we uh, follow, uh, that we believe are worth uh, worth knowing about, that are meaningful companies, and we got the databases together. Um, I mean, during the newsletter, as I said, I went through the market like 300 times through different ways, uh, you know, A to Z a couple of times as well. Uh, so, I, I, you know, the d- database that we have right now is about 450 companies, um, and that should be kind of the definitive OTC market, so to speak. Of course, it's not covering almost you know it's not covering everything it's not 100 percent but we believe that we've covered a large portion of the market which is worth following and so therefore um, uh, investors uh, that look at the otc market uh, can purchase the uh, access and they will uh, be uh, you know given those 450 stocks so if they want to go a to z there well it's much more um easy um easier than uh, than just uh, going through the list of 7 thousand stocks so that's kind of like the, the the key selling point that you can save time on researching uh and finding your own um, ideas of course within the database and you can see that on uh, you know the trial database that we've set up you can see 15 stocks or so um and just uh, just to give a give a give you a sense of how it works um, you know you can see that uh, there's some comments for the companies as well there's fundamental data there are some links um, that we believe are also worth um, knowing about when it comes to a company because a lot of times it's just uh, it's just a mess to find information in the OTC market and so we provide the user with a lot of additional information additional context for, e- for each of the companies that are uh, featured in database so that's kind of like the bulk, uh, bulk thing I think some people might think that screening uh, would, uh, would work and therefore, you know, the database uh, might, uh, you know, not be as useful. But in my experience, screening is really not working in, in, the, uh, in the OTC market that well because a lot of the companies are just not SEC reporting. Uh, and perhaps some of the most interesting opportunities were uh, not reporting to the SEC. Therefore, they would not come up on a, on a screener. Um, so I think that's the kind of the ultimate selling point.
0: So, David, I know you, um, you know, I well, Jan has, has you know, worked and, and published his OTC manual before, um, but I know for you, David, you, you, you haven't published something in that way in the manner before, so how did you contribute to this uh, database? You know, I know you've published a lot on your blog about different stocks, um, but I assume this is you know, extra information about either those companies or new companies that is, you know, from the different stocks you've researched before? Or how does that play into it? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I undertook the challenge of going through the OTC markets A to Z like uh, Yanded. So I'd kind of built up a separate list of my own uh, in a private database that I had of all the interesting companies that I'd come across And I found some things that Jan had missed and Jan had found some things that I hadn't found. So together, we just decided to combine all the companies that we'd come across. So it was essentially um, kind of pooling our resources, putting together all the research that we'd come up with independently. So we could come up with a a really comprehensive list of companies um, which would be greater than what we would be able to do by ourselves. And then we also combined our efforts to, add all the research, the commentary on the companies that we'd found. And and we also um, shared any financials that we had for dark companies. So there's, I think we've got access to around 50 financial reports for dark companies, which you can have access to on the database. They're not in the public domain at the minute. So that's quite useful for some of these companies that are are dark and you, you just can't get hold of the financials um on the website company website or the otc market so it was a, a real group effort really of just kind of pulling our resources together um some of the companies that i'd added were ones which i had written up on my blog in the past um and then a lot of the companies which i added were just ones that i have either i've owned in my own private portfolio or i've i've had in my own private database um and they've been added to the the otc database that we've created um and then any other companies which i find over time so i've got another 10 that are ready to be added which we'll be adding fairly soon um we're just constantly going to update basically the database and add any more meaningful companies that we find out about and then keep adding more kind of um fundamental data points for the companies um and just developing it from there so
0: what i'm curious to hear is you know, you, you, there, there's these 7,000 OTC companies and you've whittled it down to about 7% of them at that 450 level. Um, so kind of where are we thinking in terms of like, what are the key criteria needed for inclusion in your database? Because uh, obviously the criteria for the general OTC market is you know basically not on an exchange, anything that's public that's not on an exchange. So are we filtering based on quality are we filtering based on value are you filtering based on it doesn't seem like an outright fraud so like what what are the criteria that is being used to include companies in the database or or exclude companies from the database rather
2: Uh, i'll take this one first if you want um well from my point of view i want to include companies which We have access to some kind of financial data for them. These could be the grey reporting companies where they're not filing with the SEC, but we've managed to get hold of financial data or it's available on the company website. And then I also think we should be including, which we are doing, uh, dark companies where we think there is some kind of interesting situation. Um, Perhaps there's not publicly available financials, but through our research, we found out that something is happening behind the scenes in the company, or we have conducted some research that leads us to believe that there is some kind of hidden value there. And at some point, this value will be unlocked. So I'm sure you'll know yourself, Trey, that on the OTC markets, you can have companies that are kind of um, left for dead, that the market just assumes that the company is dead. And then suddenly out of the blue, they'll release financials or they'll update the website something will happen and then the the share price will just kind of explode. and the, the company comes back to life or um perhaps they're in the darkness and then the the company kind of pivots and moves towards a new kind of uh, avenue of business or develops a new product and then comes back to the light they they become an sec reporting company again and then you see it so often with these companies where you'll have these turnarounds that happen now if that was a listed company that had fallen on hard times the market knows about it because all the information's out there. So um, there's no real edge for the small investor to have. But when it's these companies that are on the OTC markets and they're not listed companies and the, the information's not really widely available, they're not really being followed by any institutions, these kind of changes can take place where you get these inflection points with companies where they kind of they they move from may, maybe nearly going bankrupt or or just kind of struggling along to improving, um, and if if you can identify that as it's happening, you can really profit from it. Um, a great example of this is um, Dan Shum's investment in Hemacare. They they were kind of transforming in the darkness, and not many people knew about it unless you were closely following the OTC markets and the company. You wouldn't know what was going on, and then. That that stock ended up being 100 bagger. So we're kind of interested in looking at companies where we know they're undervalued based on the financials that we've got hold of, but also companies where we think uh, something interesting may happen down the line and we think they're worth following. So we won't include things where we think there's signs of fraud or or it's just an outright pump and dump or some kind of Chinese uh, reverse takeover and merger kind of uh, vehicle or something like that we'll just kind of stick to companies where we think they're undervalued or there's a possibility that they could become interesting investments down the line
0: okay i mean so jan i know you're sh- i mean i think you said that you 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 sometimes short stocks i mean does that strategy play into what enters the database or is your strategy similar to david's um in terms of what's being put into the database
1: yeah no shorting uh shorting in the odc space it's a bit crazy um it can be interesting and there was uh there was a very good uh, seeking alpha user um uh, pennystock realist uh, who, who 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 covered the space quite well uh but yeah uh, i i don't do that in the odc space uh, regarding the inclusion to the database, I would have to agree with David, basically, um, it, the undervalued part of the business, it can be undervalued on tangible book and can be undervalued on cash flow, whatever have you. So, of course, uh, a stock that we believe is interesting uh, and already uh, a pos- possible investment opportunity, we just include that. Uh, But also we include the the companies that can be an investment opportunity in the future. So it doesn't have to be, you know, undervalued right now or it's kind of fairly valued or you know there might be some further upside in the balance sheet or so but might not be that uh, might not be that clear uh, but we still believe it's worth uh, worth following um uh, and there are so many examples of that so um uh i think that's really the two main uh main things that we do and um yeah i i, I think that david put it really well like I, I don't think that there is much more to uh to do. there is no uh, inherent. Uh, rule uh, uh, regarding the inclusion to the database um, uh, because it it's a fluid market and you can kind of see, you know, some dark companies um, might be an interesting opportunity because of a legal situation that is happening there. Yeah. Um, or there might be a dividend deal there. Um, so, um, I think we take, uh, everything basically that we believe is, uh, is, um, worth flowing. And for example, if you look at my seeking alpha, um, or my previous research, uh, you can kind of see what kind of stocks I'm picking. And, uh, that, uh, that I believe, um, uh, you know, when it has a meaningful business or it's an legal opportunity. Or or some sort of uh, special situation, it's put there and uh, people can can um, um, can follow it through the database. So yeah, I think it's relatively simple. Uh, there are no general uh, strict rules. Um, just because it can it can vary a lot, but uh, it has to be meaningful.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So we're we're talking about basically this is this is for value investors specifically and value investors that are willing to go into OTC stocks, willing to potentially go into dark stocks or gray stocks or gray market stocks, um, basically looking for overlooked gems where they can they can v- find value then.
2: Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, with I that. think
1: I think yeah, I think I would add just, you know, um every investor should be seeking an informational advantage. While that Uh, you know, might sound quite tricky and quite complex in today's world. Um, The OTC market does provide that. Opportunity to actually find stocks that are um, trading at some sort of valuation, which doesn't make much sense if you learn more about the stock. And I think that that's been the reoccurring theme in the OTC market where you can still find that. Um, uh, So that's kind of the basis of investing. Um, I don't necessarily label myself too much as a value investor or or anything like that, but just as an investor who's seeking informational advantage and knows more uh, than the market, right? And, um, you know, uh, in the OTC market, it happened to me quite a few times that I was not the only one that knew about it, uh, the situation and so on and so forth. But obviously there was not many people that knew about the stock or about the information or about anything else. So um, I think that's the key uh, when it comes to when it comes to the OTC market.
0: So this idea of an informational advantage, I think the mainstream view is that informational advantages no longer exist. Do you agree that that's the mainstream view? Do you think that it's just that in terms of most people aren't willing to look at OTC stocks or how do you think that philosophy meshes with what we're talking about here today? David, you want to chime in first on that one?
2: Yeah. um, Well, I think a a lot of investors have the approach where they're, they're kind of screening for value, and and screening for value traditionally just doesn't work for the otc markets because a lot of the things that you're looking for are just aren't showing up on screeners so a lot of the most interesting situations that you'll come across on the otc markets are a kind of um could be turnaround plays or there's some kind of um legal event taking place or there's a liquidation or there's there's something happening where the information that's available has to be sought out it's not kind of uh, given to you on a plate it's not readily available it's not going to show up in a screener so you really have to go and do your work uh, to find this kind of stuff and if you're fairly new to the otc markets you're probably not well versed in in the approaches that you would have to take to kind of um find this information so the approaches that me and jan take we'll look on pacer to look up court documents we'll use google street view to kind of um, check out the the company premises to see if they're still based there, count how many cars are in the parking lot to see if it tallies with any other information on how many employees they've got. Um, we'll, we'll use all kinds of methods to basically try and um, eke out information on these companies to ascertain whether we think there's uh, some kind of viable business that exists behind the stock. Um, and none of this stuff is going to show up on a screener. So I think the, there's definitely an informational advantage um, in looking at these small companies because the the competition is a lot less. There's only really a few small value firms that maybe play in the OTC space, but most of the institutions, that they, they can't really invest in this area because they're either prohibited by their corporate charters from investing in non-listed stocks, or they can't invest in companies that are, have a relatively small market cap. So those retail investors that are either um inclined to conduct the research or they are interested in following uh, value blogs that focus on this space they can kind of find out about this stuff so our thinking with this is is to create a kind of a comprehensive database where we're kind of tracking and covering all the interesting stocks within this area um, and it basically kind of saves people a lot of work because if you're going to kind of attempt to go through the otc markets uh, a to Z, it's going to take you, well, it took me several hundred hours to go through. Um, and a lot of people just don't have the time or the inclination to do that. Um, but that's only the really the way that you can find these interesting companies that aren't showing up on screen is, is to do that work. So our thinking is to provide a product where we do that work for you. And then it, it's kind of easier for people to then screen through the database we've created to to look through all the meaningful and interesting companies. But it's still, at the same time, it it leaves people free to to pick and choose which investments may suit their kind of style, because we'll cover things where it could be uh, a net operating loss stub, it could be um, a litigation stub, it could be um, a liquidation, it could be um, something that's undervalued on earnings or tangible book value. So there's a lot of... um, different kind of avenues for investors to explore this space and pick and choose investments that kind of suit their style.
0: So Dan, I know uh, David kind of talked about screening screening and that matches similar to what you were saying in terms of you got to, have to do the A to Z research. And so this idea that A to Z research is very anti-screen. It's saying, you no, know, you have to look at every stock before you can find the ideas is that the same way that you see screening? Do you use screening um, yourself in the process, or is it really you have to look at each individual company because a screen won't tell you the details?
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, with screening, it's uh, you know uh, there, there are many uh, there are many uh, challenges in the OTC space just because of the data, uh, you know, missing data. Uh, there might be uh, the great stock, great stocks which which are usually interesting, which are missing out. There are also SEC stocks which don't really screen well. For example, there is the um, uh, Mills Music Trust, which is one of my all-time favorite dividend yielders in the in the ODC space. Uh, they pay um, um, great dividends uh, from time to time uh, nowadays the share price is um, a bit pricey um, I still uh, own some but uh, it's a bit pricey uh, since it, it it increased already but basically this doesn't screen because they don't have any balance sheet so for example if you look if you are screening for something undervalued on the tangible book well you wouldn't be able to find them because they don't have anything they're um, a trust which has uh, musical royalties and uh, they don't there's no employee there's nothing you know it's just the trust that uh, gets the royalties and then they pay out yeah so they have basically nothing in the corpus of the trust so to speak uh so this you couldn't for example find through screening and so on and so so on and so forth and so many other stocks and um i think coming back to also a bit of your uh question regarding the informational advantage and the mainstream idea that it it cannot it cannot work i think certainly that's probably what is happening and, and david also touched upon why uh, or at least um, you touch upon some of the factors uh, um, why the the OTC space is not as known uh, basically around for the informational advantage. Um, you know, liquidity is one thing. Um, I used to, I, I created one uh, presentation um, about the OTC market, which kind of goes all, all uh, over um, uh, the initiation of the market, how it actually started, why it exists, and uh, kind of why people are not so interested in it. And I identified uh, myself like four factors. One of them is certainly um uh, liquidity, but the first one is reputation, right? So pen, penny stocks, pink sheets, um, in the especially i think it has a relatively bad reputation i mean wall street right so for people you know this is not necessarily market that they would have uh they they would start looking at because they know it's not really um you know a great market to start with um you know secondly it's the obscurity sometimes uh you know people just look at some things they might be like why am i looking at it you know i really don't understand what what's happening and um you know um if, uh, if they do the research they would you know, understand what, what is the, what is the situation? But a lot of times they would just ask, you know, okay, why am I looking at this? Right. And then they would just stop. So that's just another, another factor, obscurity. Then of course the data, because sometimes you have to be crafty on how to get the data or how to do the research um, or creative let's say David again mentioned that with uh, you know bank- bankruptcy filing some sort of uh, corporate filings as well that are not necessarily um, the most straightforward source for investors in the public market um, uh, so that's that's also another another challenge for people who then say okay the ODC market is not really for me and therefore again it opens up op- opportunities for uh, the informational advantage for the people that are looking at it um, so these are just some of the factors and uh and i think that uh for um, um for the screening it just kind of you know doesn't doesn't work that well especially because some of the factors are actually affecting the screening itself and just uh, by the fact that there are only uh you know um, so many uh, companies that report to the sec in our in our database, it's uh, the split is roughly mm, uh, 100 dark companies, uh, uh, 100 gray stocks, or a bit more, and then 100 uh, SEC um, stocks uh, that are reporting to the to the SEC, and then we also have um, a nice amount of community banks. Um, cause community banks is also a specific opportunity in the OTC market. So we kind of, uh, I went through the community bank space very closely um, uh, during my time in newsletter and I also created a portfolio of community banks. And so, uh, some of them are in the database as well. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of providing that th- the best way is to, you know, A to Z, go to A to Z, but then, you know, why would you do that if the database is here? Of course, it's always better to make sure that you are you know looking at the market trying to find some new stocks but this database is a great start.
0: So um David one of the things that Jan just mentioned was kind of reputation and what I'm curious is is your views on what do you think people misunderstand about the OTC market and OTC stocks.
2: Um well I think uh, probably before I started to look at the OTC markets um The only thing I really knew was like, like Jan mentioned earlier, like the pink sheets, you just kind of think of Wolf of Wall Street or some kind of like penny stock fraud. You kind of assume that any of these companies where the the shares are trading below a dollar or they're not kind of listed companies, you just kind of assume that maybe it's kind of... um, uh, it's going to be wrought with fraud, and and it's highly risky, more risky than investing on, uh, you know, with listed companies. And obviously, there there is um, there's a, there's quite a few um, frauds and pump and dumps on the OTC markets. Um, the SEC and the OTC markets group are trying to kind of solve this problem. Um, so there are some risks, but then equally, I think a lot of people miss the fact that within the OTC markets, it's such a broad arena. There's there's companies on there that are kind of 100 years old or more, and they've been kind of issuing financial statements for decades. They've been paying dividends for decades. Um, they provide audited financial results to their shareholders you know, every year. So there's lots of really interesting companies that have kind of found their way onto these markets. Some of them used to be on the, the major exchanges or some have just never made that leap up to the major exchanges. But they're on the OTC markets just because it's a cheaper alternative because the costs to to become a listed company are quite high. So if you're a, a small cap company where you, you're not generating huge amounts of revenue and earnings, it's just not worth um bearing those costs to become a listed company when there's an alternative to be on the OTC markets where you still have access to capital from retail investors. So I think once people start looking into the OTC markets, they'll realize actually it's a really interesting place to look into. And a lot of people don't realize that when Warren Buffett was starting out, he he would go through the old pink sheets. Um, he would He would look through them because back then it was all kind of just on paper there was no nothing on a, no computers and stuff um, and he would go through like we have A to Z looking for interesting companies and he found a lot of really interesting investments doing that um, but obviously nowadays there's a lot more information available, and then with the service that we're providing um, we're kind of going through and selecting all the interesting companies and separating the wheat from the chaff. Um, and providing a database where people can kind of find out about these companies, see what kind of valuations there are, uh, We provide access to you know financial uh, reports for the dark companies, and then also um, provide a commentary so people can get an idea of um, the types of companies that they'll find on on the OTC markets.
0: Well, I think it's an interesting thing that people sometimes miss is that just because they're on the OTC doesn't mean they're small. Uh, mm-hmm. because I, I know I was in an argument with someone on on Twitter one time about like well if, you, if you're if you investing in, in non-SEC reporting companies then it's just fraught with risk and I was like well have you looked at CSVI which mm-hmm. is a billion dollar market cap company and has been paying dividends for decades and is high quality and, and all these things and I see it's also in your database um, mm-hmm. and it's a company that trades on the OTC markets, you know, and it's not that it's, it's not risky in the way that people think of penny stocks or, or the wolf of wall street type stuff. So I think that's an area that people sometimes overlook. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit about community banks and and kind of what you look for in the community banks that might be involved in the, in the manual, because when you think about the 7,000 stocks, On the OTC markets, I know that there's like at least 3000, I think, community banks in the United States. Um, Now they're not all publicly traded or whatever, but um, so a lot of those OTC stocks would happen to be community banks. So it makes sense that this would be potentially a significant part of the, the manual. So I wonder if you could speak a little to that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So basically there is, in my recollection, about 500 or 600 uh, community banks in the ODC space, Uh, maybe a bit less. I don't really uh, remember the exact number, but um, I used to have a list of all of them. and basically, I think it's about 500, uh, so to speak. And basically, the community banks are interesting uh, because, well, that's actually the opposite of some sort of pump and dump. Um, I mean, some of the uh, community banks just earn, you know, the same amount, um, and you know, uh, don't really get affected by any crisis. And so, on. So for a lot of them, are very conservative. Um, um, so that actually is a whole another subset of OTC investing. Um, I think a lot of people are not even like considering it. As OTC investing to some 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 degree, because even though some of them are liquid, so they're not as easy to buy. Um, the reporting is every uh, is always there because of FDIC, so um, it's much more let's say transparent in that manner, and you can kind of calculate all the financial ratios and so on and so forth, and. Um, This is helpful uh, in the OTC space because uh, it can provide you with another kind of sector, which is maybe less volatile and um, let's say less obscure um, uh, and uh, can provide you with, let's say, the more typical uh, investment opportunities that value investors might be uh, used to. And uh, what I've added to the database are basically community banks that have been trading very near their tangible book. So it's either uh, you know um, um, slightly above or or below uh, tangible book. That was kind of the main uh, thing that I looked for. I also looked at earnings. Um, but it had to be kind of um, also reasonable uh, on valuation on the tangible book. So that's um uh, that's the story behind uh, behind the community community banks there. Um, and, uh, there is about, as I said, hundred of them. And, um, usually they're a bit smaller. Uh, the ones that I selected a bit more obscure, but I mean, some of them are incredible. I mean, you have, for example, UNTN, uh, which is one of my favorites. Is this bank just you know, like no covid nineteen impact, no uh, financial crisis, uh, two thousand eight uh, two thousand and nine impact and so on and so forth. these are just highly conservative banks, which uh, which, yeah, sure, of course is not gonna you know um um get you a fifty percent return in one year. But, uh, but since it's uh, well-run and they know the community and they uh, know who they serve, I mean, this is, a, yeah, in my view, uh, a solid uh, solid um, a community bank. So uh, there, there are examples of that, uh, whereby the banks are just super conservative. Um, some might, of course, believe that it's just to their uh, detriment because... And grow as much, and so on and so forth. But community banks have one catalyst, which is acquisition. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the community banks that I looked at have been purchased by other community banks, and so on and so forth. It's not. As often let's say but uh, but it still happens so um, it's it's a, a interesting sector and we are certainly actually um, 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 thinking of some preparing some extra features for the community banks in the database um, itself uh, as well so um, uh, I think for people that uh, might be a bit less interested in the obscure and liquid, you know you can start with community banks and you can actually look at um, um, at some that are that are still interesting and are also still growing there were some banks that grew um, that I was looking at um, uh, during the newsletter times uh, you know two three years ago and they were growing quite well um, I was always a bit skeptical with bank growing in these kind of um, times uh, but yeah nonetheless it's a very interesting uh, sector so um, community banks certainly worth it
0: okay so I think an interesting piece of this database, as I dig into it, is that you have a commenting function. Hello? So oh, yeah, I muted myself again. Oh, man. So, I think an interesting piece of this database is that the you have this commenting function where it seems like the idea is to facilitate discussion as each new person in the database can contribute comments. Is that right? So, like, I can add comments to the database and say, you know, I've looked at this company, it does seem good, or, or, or questions, and then other investors can chime in. Is that how it's supposed to work?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the intention behind it, because we thought just um, a static kind of database where there's no ability for the users to kind of interact is, it's not as interesting, it's not as fun, and um, I think it, it can be quite lonely as well when you're you're looking through the OTC markets. There's It's not as if there's kind of... Every, everyone else that's around you in the investment community is looking at these stocks. It's quite a niche thing. So having the ability to connect with other OTC markets investors, I think, is a really good thing. And and also the fact that the often with these companies, it's, it's hard to come by information or often I'll write up a company on my own blog and then someone will contact me with other information that they've managed to find out. So we thought that it would be a good feature so people can interact and share information. And then over time, that will kind of grow. So each company, there'll be an interesting kind of backstory recorded with the comments. We'll have our commentary and then we'll also be updating all the the fundamental data for the you know the the revenue, the earnings, the, the tangible book value. Um, so our aim is to just make the database just become better over time. The more people that join, the more people that use it, the more stocks that are added. it will just um, kind of keep increasing um, in value the the proposition that we offer for people.
0: So how do you think your database is best used? You know, what you know, if, if you're you know, you, you have the someone that's interested in signing up for the database and they just signed up, what is the first thing they should do? How should they think about using this database to improve their investing process or come up with ideas? Like so what would you think that your target customers should be using your database for? We'll start with you, yen.
1: Mm, so I would say that uh, the best thing is probably to um, start screening because actually our database has some fundamental data and it has also price action. So uh, basically the screening in our database makes sense uh, as opposed to screening without, uh, without the database and screening the whole market we do have a peps uh, so basically price to sales and price to earnings um now of course not all of the stocks will have this data because some of them are dark and we don't have the most up to date financials so let's say we have financials for 2019 but we're not really super sure what's the current situation so we're not going to uh, put it there but for the companies that have uh, you know available data we do have peps we also have tangible book value so of course then you can kind of see mm, uh, price to tangible book value so these are already kind of like the basic screeners that uh, people can run and can see, okay, why is this trading at such a huge discount to tangible book value or on the opposite? Why is it trading at such a premium? And you know they think it's interesting um or p uh, pe and and price to sales as well uh, so these are the fundamentals and then the price performance is interesting i believe we we offer uh, three time frames we offer 5 day performance 90 day performance and 12 month per, uh, performance and so people can start screening um you know for stocks that uh, have gone up a lot uh, have been down and so on and so forth you can just kind of play around with it um, um so that's i think uh, that the best way to kind of like start and use the database because then you can kind of uh, narrow down uh, uh, stocks that you might be interested in um, of course there's also a screening for reporting so basically you can say okay I'm interested really in the dark companies uh, so you can just um, set up the database to show you only dark companies and you can start with that um, or whatever there are sectors or so So you can search whether you want to financials real estate consumer staples whatever have you uh and so uh, there's many ways to kind of like narrow down what you are interested in and um uh, the screening for the fundamental data and the price performance is basically actually I think the uh, one of the best ways to start but for of course, the people that want to take serious amount of time um, uh, doing the research, then they can just go A to Z, <laughs> because it's only 450 companies. And it won't take you that much time, and there's a lot of context for each of the companies uh, that we provide. Um, and also, you can um, we do sell uh, my previous research. So um, um, we do sell the manuals that uh, you, you know uh, the, the the oldest one um, has uh, has about 800 pages of research. So. If you want more context for each of the companies, you can also purchase that uh, on top of the database. So um, uh, the database has some initial comments, but if you're looking for more context, that can also can also help.
0: Do you have anything to add there, David, on how you think uh, customers should use your database?
2: Yeah, well, the, there's a certain type of investor which includes myself and, and maybe a few other people. Um, who, uh, when I use a screener, even for listed companies, I'll basically just look at the smallest uh, companies I can find and those with the lowest share count, and then I will go through each company one by one. Uh, I I screen, so I only look at companies that have a, a market cap of $10 million or less. So another way that you can use the database is to just screen based on the lowest market cap or the lowest share price or the lowest shares outstanding. And then kind of work your way up, because um, often it can be interesting to look at these really illiquid situations, because if you can find one where the company is undervalued or it's at at some kind of inflection point where there's some change taking place with the company and then you can build a a position in the company, then when um, people become interested in the company or the market becomes aware that it's undervalued or that something's happened, something's changed, which has prompted more people to become interested in it. That can really prompt the share price to move up quite dramatically. So I like I kind of like to use that approach when I'm going through this screener is just to look at the the smallest and most illiquid stuff that I can find. Equally you can kind of look you can you can do that in reverse where you look at the most expensive um, stocks. Because often this can kind of put a lot of people off. Some people psychologically, they don't like to put a lot of money into one stock. So you could look at companies where the share price is like, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $5,000, $20,000 or whatever, and kind of work your, your way down from there. And equally, you'll, you'll often find with those companies, some of them are quite undervalued just simply because the share price is, is so high. So that, that's kind of two ways that I would use it as well.
0: Yeah, so we can buy uh you know companies that have you do have twenty thousand uh, dollars or or ninety five thousand dollars as as prices for what a single share can cost in this database. That's pretty interesting. Um, so what I think it's a it's a good time to to move on to talk about some some stock picks. So I'm going to ask each of you to kind of showcase you know stock idea, um, give a little background about it, and um. You know what a general thesis is, or what makes it interesting, um, so that my listeners can understand kind of the types of companies that they might be able to find um, within the database. Uh, we'll start with you first, Ian.
1: All right. Um, so um, I will certainly give uh, one or two stocks that I believe are interesting now, but maybe before. Uh, and I would give you an example of a, of a stock that um, that worked out really well, and um, that I believe is a great showcase of um, uh, why OTC works, uh, why the database works, um, and this is Gainsco, uh, GNS. G A N S. I'm not sure if you are you familiar with that, Trey?
0: I, I'm a, I'm familiar with the Gainsco. They're the ones the the Texas insurer, I think.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you do you so you know the story as a stock or
0: yeah, but but my listeners probably don't. So it's 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 okay. Good to cover it. right up,
1: yeah. No, so this this is a great example because actually I've um, when I started my OTC research in 2016 17, um, I went A to Z and I I stumbled upon Gainsco and uh, at that time this insurers kind of specialty car insurer um you know was trading at insane valuation of you know um below tangible book you know 15 maybe like 0.5 0.6 the ratio was uh and free cash flow was just very very strong uh, you know two times three times or something like that and they were growing and uh uh i found them um they were great um, or actually in the OTC market, they were uh, labeled as dark, which was an error because it was actually not dark. They were uh, providing financials for investors uh, on their website and they were also audited. And of course, it's an insurer, so you can always check the insurance subsidiary as well. So if you ever want to do a research on insurance subsidiary, of course, in the U.S., you can go through uh, the the regulator, basically, and they would have the insurance subsidiary financial. So you can also see that. So Gainsco would provide that and they would also provide audited annual statements for the whole company, for the holding company. So you knew really what's going on, what's the share count, uh, what's the situation. And, um, you know, I started looking into it and I just said, well, what's wrong with it, right? I mean, what's the valuation? And I just couldn't find anything. Like, I really didn't find anything wrong with it. Um, uh, Of course, they were operating in the, let's say say like a niche market and the company uh, was undergoing a turnaround basically, which started in 2011 or 12. um, That was driven by its management team. And so they had some troubles, you know, 10 years ago or so, uh, but now it seemed to, or at that time it seemed like a great opportunity and there was really no other reason uh, to to not buy it. And so I even wrote about it on Seeking Alpha when it was like $18 or so saying, hey, I don't really know why it's, no training at such a, such a thing, I couldn't really find anything. There was just one thing that the customers were not really super happy with the customer service of the company, but the official comments or official actions were none against the insurer. So it seemed like, okay, well, these might be disgruntled online customer reviews, but I mean, there are a couple of companies that have that without any sort of, uh, uh, you know, impact on its core bi- on their core business, and so I wasn't really able to find much. And um, it it went up uh, uh, like hundred um, percent just because of trading, really. And uh, also, they released some special dividends. Um, uh, so the cash flow was actually getting back to the shareholders as well. And then um, in September of this year, they got acquired for about a hundred uh, bucks a share. Um, so there you go. And um, that was a great great story. And um i think it just showcases you know like there was no reason for this company to trade at that valuation and i simply believe it was forgotten and some people that i know from the otc space and you know the community is not that large um, uh, that have been you know going through the market a lot they didn't know about it and i was like wow that's you know that's really what you can miss on, uh, miss out on if you if you don't do the A to Z research, or of course nowadays if you uh, don't buy the access to the database because you can just miss uh, miss out on easily on on things that were not obscure that would are understandable, there was no sort of uh, a trick to get the financials or something like that. This was trading at, you know, above 10 bucks a share. Uh, it had volume relatively, of course, there are some constraints and liquidity and so on, and so forth. But basically, um, you know, it was, it was relatively a normal, uh, a normal stock and a normal company and the market cap was, I don't know what, like 50, 60, 70 million, maybe at the start and, and um, now it's like 300 million or so. So it wasn't even that small. So that's just one example of why I believe like. Why I believe OTC works, and 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 why the why going A to Z and and having access to database also works. Mm, so that's just a quick um, quick example, but um, I believe that uh, uh, from the companies that we have in the database. Um, I spent a lot of time in the dark space, so I, I, I did um, um, you know, try to get financials for a lot of the dark companies and so on and so forth. So um, there are some interesting stocks there. Uh, but I think nowadays, even you know, with the valuation, it can be quite interesting in, in, in the gray uh, space or SEC space. Just because the March downturn hap- happened, and uh, while uh, many of the stocks rebounded very quickly, um, which is like Callaway Nursery, you know C L W Y, that was like from four bucks to eight, um, and it went to four bucks just because of the COVID crisis. Uh, while it was a gardening store, so and they were not really impacted that much, so um, uh, I think that the devaluation in March still created some opportunities. Um, and so therefore, for example, my, uh, current favorite is, uh, reserve petroleum or, a stock that I believe is worth following, let's say, um, just because of the valuation. It's an oil uh, and gas company, um, so of course oil has been battered down, and you know the price is not really that uh, that attractive right now. But but Reserve Petroleum was actually able to create operating um, uh, cash flow in the past six months, so uh, they made about uh, a million, um, uh, which is which is pretty good at uh, the current prices. It's a relatively small company. Um, and the current uh, current market cap is about 20 million, which uh, which means that uh, on the cash flow side it might not be that interesting, um, uh, you know, uh, in terms of how much they can actually earn. But when it comes to the balance sheet valuation, I mean that's that's really interesting because uh, they have about 18 or 19 million in cash and treasury bills. And they have no liability. So to, sp- uh, to speak of. So basically what you're getting is, uh, you pay 20 million, uh, for, um, uh, for a business that uh, owns almost all of the market cap in, in cash. And then you have still, um, still a, um, a business that is operating, uh, a, a, a profit operating at a profit, at uh, the current oil price. So. I think that it's just quite interesting, and it was sold off in March and never really rebounded. Um, uh, of course, you you would have to do a, like a proper assessment of the oil wells to be completely sure about the valuation. But I think that uh, whatever happens, it's uh, it's a stock that's worth following. So that's kind of my my favorite um, um, uh, currently that uh, that I believe is worth uh,
0: worth following. So that's RSRV the rsrv
1: out. yes exactly the market cap is about 21 million i believe that cash is about yeah like the tangible book in the database is 30 million so they're trading at a pretty uh, significant discount and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh th- There in the database you can see the net co- net income as negative Um, but that's actually because they took uh, impairment charge on their assets, but they actually made money So they just of course prudently took um impairment on their ong assets on so the oil and gas assets just because of the low oil price, but um, Actually, um on cash flow cash flow basis uh, they, they made money. So It's been one of those sleepy stocks that I've looked at quite a few times in the OTC space and I kind of never um, liked it that much just because it was trading above tangible book and it was kind of throwing out cash but not so much. But right now the
0: valuation I think is um, quite compelling. So um, for that company they operate in the US and they're just a, a standard oil exploration type company?
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, this is a U.S.-based company. They have a very funny website that looks like it's been made in '90s, which I think it was, and they never really updated it. Um, I think it's a uh, you know the classic case of conservative ODC management, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, worth pointing out and worth uh, worth following.
0: That's always the best sign. If your website looks as bad as Berkshire Hathaway's, now you're on to something, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Or it can be very bad, but usually it's like uh, there's an extreme outcome out of that, that's yeah, for sure.
0: It's it's going to be on one of the tails. It's either a positive or a negative tail. No, I think that's a good example. Uh, David, do you want to share some examples?
2: Yeah. Um, so what I'll talk about first is um, ECC Capital Corporation, which is ticker symbol E-C-R-O. Disclaimer, I own shares in this company. Um, So this is a company that I actually came across when I was working my way through the OTC markets. Um, And uh, on first appearance, it didn't really look like it was interesting. But then a much smarter investor than myself reached out to me after he'd kind of seen that I was interested in these small OTC stocks. And he shared some kind of research that he'd conducted on the company um he realized that there was there was probably some kind of hidden value there with the company but the market was just assuming that this company was dead so there were a, a former mortgage REIT that kind of um they got destroyed in the 2008 financial crisis um they were just kind of obliterated um they were involved in some litigation in in the later years and then everything kind of went dark they they stopped issuing um financial reports and then they stopped basically just issuing any news whatsoever so they went completely dark no one knew what was going on with the company um but this gentleman that i referred to earlier he conducted some research and realized that they were still kind of receiving income from some interest that they had in some securitization trusts um, so long story short, he, he'd kind of built a position in the company and, and some other investors that follow OTC stocks were becoming interested in the company as well. Um, and then it, it turns out that someone kind of reached out to management and suggested that it might be useful for them to start, um, going public again with the financials and kind of letting investors know what was going on with the company. So, I mean, when it was dark, it, it felt kind of like it was trading at like an eighth of a cent or something. Um, and then they released financials and it turned out they had like 7.7 cents in net cash and like 15 point, I think it's 15.4 cents in tangible book value. Um, and the share price kind of exploded. It just ran up like 10 X, uh, because the, the company kind of released the fact that it, it, it was sat on, you know, some serious assets, um, and. And a lot of investors that were obviously paying attention kind of jumped in and, and bid the, the share price up. Um, but since then, interestingly, it's kind of drifted back down. So it's now it's still selling below net cash uh, even now, even though it's kind of like the information's there because you've got to kind of go onto the company website to find the financials. It's not something that's going to show up in a stock screener because it's kind of um, it's not SEC reporting. But another interesting thing with this company is that the website will not work if you're trying to access it from a non-US country. So if you're anywhere else in the world, if you're trying to access it from Europe or the UK, it's not going to work. You can only access the the website if you're in the US. So uh, you you need to use a VPN if you're from another country to get access to the website to look at the financials and and the news and find out what's going on with the company. So that's one uh, company that turned out to be a great investment. And then another one that I'll talk about um, is EQTL, Um, disclaimer, I'm long this company as well. Uh, This is Equitel International Corp. Um, This is one I've written up on my blog in the past. Now, this is not what you would call a value investment because it's not cheap based upon the current numbers. They are releasing limited financial information at the minute but they're not kind of releasing full financial information. So the, the picture's somewhat kind of gray at the minute as to what's going on with the company. But I became interested in the company because um, it's a turnaround play. So a new CEO took over a couple of years back and he started to kind of turn things around with the company. Um, I'll just mention what they do. They make these um, fiber optic uh, devices that can be, Put into machines in warehouses and various things and they can they can monitor the the um they can monitor say paint or food or plastics uh, while they're being manufactured to test the viscosity or the color they can sense all these different kind of things and then they can relay that information back in real time um so it kind of helps companies um cut down on waste if you know if uh, the production line goes down because something there's been a mistake with the production. They kind of helped that all be regulated better. Um, and they did had a lot of problems in the past because they kind of got locked into this uh, agreement with a German um, startup company that was um, their licensee for, I think it was parts of Europe. Um, and the customer base were not interested in the product at the price that it was being sold at by the licensee there's a lot of problems going on with the company anyway, but the the guy that took over, he basically relocated the operations back to the U S. Um, he moved the headquarters. Um, he's basically established a a sales force across the U S. Um, he's now intimated in the most recent, um, Q3 report that they put out that the, his intention is to kind of go, um, current reporting with the company by, I think the end of Q1, 2021. So, these kind of companies interest me because uh, anytime there's a change where there's a company that's been assumed to be dead or kind of, it's been left for dead by the market, they assume nothing's going on. Um, when these companies turn around in the darkness and they kind of improve operations. Um, if you can get in early enough with these companies you can do quite well because you you can establish a decent position and then just kind of ride the share price all the way up as the company comes back out of the darkness it becomes um, a reporting company (laughs) again operations improve they start to generate revenue and earnings um, and you can benefit from that so at the minute it's not cheap if you would look at it based on um, price to sales or PE or anything like that but it's a it's an interesting company to follow and certain investors like myself and i know dan shum takes this approach we like to find these companies where they may not be cheap at the minute but we have an idea of about what the potential value of the company could be if things go in the right direction and often with these companies when they're kind of left for dead you only really need a couple of things to go right for it to really move the share price up. So a lot of the companies that we have that are dark in the database will be these kind of situations where we found out that there's some kind of transition taking place with the company, something's happening, but um, the picture still isn't clear, but the, we have the information we can demonstrate that there's something happening with the company. Um, So yeah, that's an interesting company that I would uh, recommend people follow
0: david that stock chart is terrible eqtl it's i mean it's probably your favorite type of stock chart so for anyone who wants to look up eqtl just look at the max chart it's like a negative 99 percent from 2001 or 2000 they're the
2: kind of stocks that i like to find yeah where it looks like the right hand side of a bell curve it's just kind of they're they're always the best ones but you'll see that with a lot of these companies when you'll you'll look at them and nothing's happened but then the share price will then kind of run up massively. You saw it with like um, Affymax recently, AFFY, um, another one that I owned, which was completely dark, Bright Striker, BSTK, that kind of ran up. I think it went up 60 X in the end. Um, So you'll find with these companies when they're just kind of left for dead, any kind of positive news that emerges or any signs of a turnaround or the release of a product will, you know, send these stocks up. Now, Traditional value investors may not favor this kind of approach, but there are some investors that like to look at these types of situations where it's it's essentially a turnaround um, or it's semi-speculative in some ways. But I like to think of it as, as kind of um, thinking about what the future value could be with these companies. And it works well, probably more for the deep value guys that buy a large basket of stocks, obviously you're not going to put all your net worth into one of these companies or even maybe like two or three of them you're more likely to buy a basket of 20 or 30 of these things and and you'll you'll do quite well from it
0: yeah so for for anyone listening in 2000 may of 2000 the stock was trading at a dollar 35 per share by 2009 it hit 1 cent and it's still at 1 cent basically for the last 11 years it's been at 1 penny I mean, this is a mm-hmm. terrible chart. I, everyone should look up EQTL, at least on the the chart, even just the chart. Because it's just, should, if you want to understand how uh, David invests, he loves these charts.
2: Um, I should stress, it's, it's not cheap on the numbers. Like the numbers they're putting out at the minute, it's not kind of uh, cheap on a traditional value basis. But I'm kind of thinking ahead of where could this company go if things go right and the turnaround happens. You so, know? so
0: when you think about a company like this, where do you think it can go? If you're willing to share, I mean... You say the numbers aren't great. Um, I mean, its market cap is a million dollars, basically. If I have the numbers right here, um, so like, is this uh, have a potential to be a five million dollar company, a ten million dollar company, a fifty million dollar company, or or a or what? What are we they- talking?
2: it's hard to say really without i mean you could conduct I'm, I'm not a big fan of conducting these kind of analysis where you'll go and look what's the the potential market for their products and all this kind of stuff because i think you kind of you can come up with any figure that you want when you start going down that road you'll just kind of find the figures that justify the the picture you've got in your mind my my approach with these stocks is <laughs> can can it get any worse no, it can't get any worse with these companies unless they go bankrupt. Um, but you'll see with these stocks where they've kind of drifted down to virtually nothing and then they hit support um, and they just kind of bounce along and the share price isn't really drifting down much. It's not going up much. And then that's the an interesting time I find to buy these companies is when there's some kind of transition happening in the darkness. Like I probably wouldn't buy a, a meaningful amount in this company if, if I hadn't found out the fact that there was some kind of change going on with the company, if that makes sense. You know, you can see there's evidence that there's a new CEO has taken over. He's taking a lot of steps to ch- mo- turn things around with the company. The things that he said he was going to do, he's delivered on. So when you see those kind of things happen, then you'll think, well, hmm, maybe it's worth investing in, in this kind of situation. You know, a basket of these kind of turnarounds um, could work out quite well. Where could the stock go? It's hard to say. I mean, it could become a five million dollar company, it could be a 10 million, it could be a 50 million. Um, I never really kind of um imagined where it would go. I just kind of take the situation for what it is and then just kind of assess it as it goes along. I'll just watch what happens and and kind of judge it from there. If if management keeps delivering, things keep improving, then you just kind of hold the stock and, and watch where it goes.
0: You know, I think that the examples that the two of you have provided here really provide a good example of the diversity of ideas, both that you can, you know, find in this manual, this database, so that people can understand the different types of things they might find, but also that the stocks available are going to appeal to different types of investors. Um, For instance, I I always love reading about your style, David, and then, you know, but it's got to say like eighty-five, ninety percent of the stocks you you write up. I'm always like, I don't know. I have to hold my nose just to read the the investment thesis because I it's not my general style. But it shows that there's plenty of ways to make money. And of course, I think your performance is is you know absolutely destroying mine. So you know each one each to their own. Um, but I think both of you have brought up key ideas here about the idea that you have companies that may be dark market or gray market or overlooked for reasons like this that might not be in the SEC space. So I think this is a good time to transition to the third key topic we wanted to talk about today was this recent SEC ruling on dark stocks. And so the SEC put out a ruling maybe a month ago or six weeks ago, something along those lines, um, that basically says Something's going to happen with dark stocks. Dark stocks can no longer be traded or listed or quoted in the way they have before. So I was, maybe one of you can give a kind of a summary of your thoughts of what this SEC ruling means, and then we can dive into wh- how is that going to affect investors like us that are interested in the gray market and the dark stock market, um, and what that's going to do to the opportunity set. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Well, I'll I'll take first dibs on this one. Um, Well, as I understand it, any company that's not deemed to be current in their filings, so they're not reporting every quarter, they're not adhering to these kind of requirements. So these could even be kind of uh, limited info stocks um, where they're maybe only reporting once every six months or once a year. If they're not current in their filings, then they will basically be moved onto the grey market Um, So the SEC is saying that brokers will be prohibited from issuing electronic quotations uh, for these stocks. Um, Now, there's some talk that perhaps an expert market will be created for these companies. So you may find that only accredited investors can trade these stocks. That's not determined yet. I suspect what's going to happen is that they'll actually all just be moved onto the grey market. And then maybe some of these companies may find their way onto another market, which could be created. I think this is an idea that's being suggested by the OTC Markets Group as a way to allow um, some of the small value firms to be able to trade these stocks. Um, i'm not convinced that it'll solve the problems that the sec thinks it's going to solve which is to kind of combat fraud and stop retail investors from from um you know being defrauded out of, out of cash because a lot of the pump and dumps tend to be they don't tend to be a liquid dark stocks that don't trade for like weeks or months on end they tend to be a lot more liquid and and often they, they might even be current in their reporting but that you know the they're still kind of just shell companies. There'll be the you'll find a lot on the pink sheets that are current that are just these shells. Um, there's no meaningful operations, but they're just kind of vehicles for pump and dumps. Um, so I'm not convinced that really this this move will actually fix the 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 problem that the SEC is trying to address. Um, but the interesting thing I think is that moving all these companies onto the grey market may actually present more value opportunities because i think a lot of people will kind of panic initially and think well i don't want to own companies that are on the gray market it's um there's there's no bid ask spread out there i I don't know what people you know because when you're on the gray market it's essentially brokers that are going to trade this stuff they'll have to like pick up the phone and find someone that's willing to buy if you're wanting to sell um so for people that are, are not afraid of holding illiquid stocks um this could actually present more value opportunities so a lot of these stocks will probably just drop in price when all this stuff happens uh because people no longer want to hold them um but yet the companies behind these stocks often uh, are, you know perfectly reputable companies they've they're issuing financials audited often on their websites they've been around for decades and um, you know you can speak to the management um i mean often with these tiny companies i'll i'll email them and I'll speak to the CEOs directly. So I actually think, yeah, there could be an opportunity for people that are interested um, if they're willing to trade on the grey markets, that they'll be able to trade these stocks. So the issues that I think are going to happen with it is if these stocks are moved onto the grey market, there will be no uh, bid-ask spread available. So price discovery will be impaired somewhat. Um, They'll probably become more illiquid because there's going to be less people holding them less people trading them now for some people like myself that's not an issue um i actually like to hold the liquid companies because i'm i like to build a position when they're a liquid and then sell when the liquidity arrives when some catalyzing event occurs um it's, it's a personal preference for investors whether they're willing to kind of trade these stocks when they become more opaque, but I, 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 still think the businesses behind these stocks, um, should be judged, you know, r- rather than just thinking about the stock itself, think about what, well, what's the company behind this stock. So if, if you own a stock in a quality company that you're happy to hold, do you mind wh- whether it's trading on the gray markets or whether it's on the New York stock exchange, personally, I wouldn't, um, obviously the, there is the consideration of if you need to access the capital that you've put into that investment, it's going to be tricky if it's if it's on a grey market, but that's obviously a decision that you have to make. Um, my concern if they create this expert market is that you will have to jump through some hoops to become an accredited investor. Initially, it seemed like you would have to have like a certain net worth to be able to qualify as an accredited investor. But I think you can... Um, you could sit your Series 65. Um, I think there's some exams that you could sit to get a license, and then you'll be classed as an accredited investor. It wouldn't really matter whether you have a, a lower net worth. Um, now, again, some people may not want to go through all that hassle, but then that could present opportunities for people that are willing to do that. I'm I'm less convinced that the all these stocks that are non-reporting or a, a, that are gray reporting will find their way onto the gray market um sorry we'll find their way into the expert market i think the what's most likely is they'll just end up on the the grey markets um and obviously that's a personal preference for people whether they they're still willing to trade them
0: what are your thoughts Ian, on on kind of how this is going to affect investors um pros and cons um kind of like how how david talked about what what issues do you see with how this is is going to play out
1: yeah, so um, I, I think that um, David covered it really well from the technical standpoint and uh, the the possible scenarios that may might occur. Um, I don't think it's the end of the dark uh, market. You know, there will be a way to to trade that, hopefully. Um, and um, if there are some additional hoops, um, I mean, that that's what it's going to be. And of course, it can also again create um, <clears throat> opportunities because people will, um, you know, not everyone will be able to do that, and so it might, you know, uh, become even more illiquid and um, and harder to 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 get. But um, there might be some still some access. So I think from the technical standpoint, he kind of said everything. Of course, I also agree that the SEC is completely in the wrong here. I mean, they don't understand what they're doing, basically because they're empowering companies that have been dark, even, you know, though they are public. So a lot of the dark companies are just basically acting as if they know they don't have any public shareholders. Um, and, um, and they're just going to empower those companies to continue uh, to stay in dark while, you know, there are public shareholders who have the right to get the financials. I mean, you know, I myself had some phone calls with managements who just, you know, um, hang up the phone on me because they just didn't want to talk to the shareholders. So, um, Um, You know, I think the whole space is not for the faint hearted, Um, you know, so it it, it is a tough space now and it might be tougher in the future. But in any case, it's a very specific market, which um, requires investors to be patient, to have uh, no problems with illiquidity and to have no problems with corporate governance. You know, that can be quite questionable. Sometimes, you know, the management they're just not going to talk to you now. This does not mean that. the companies are somehow uh, scammy or something like that but um, you know a lot of times the the companies are just family companies who want to want to stay in the dark and don't want to be bothered by public shareholders who might um wake up to realize that they have some uh, some rights uh, you know as 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 minority shareholders so um i think that uh, that's kind of the 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 main thing that i see from here you know it it's never been an easy market um the corporate governance can be quite tricky to to nail and of course the sec is just going to make it worse uh, by by doing these uh, by doing these uh, things while they are combating fraud i mean come on this is just uh, you know the dark companies it's like, it, it would be the stupidest way to perform uh, financial fraud, um, because it's like, you're, you're hiding the fraud, right? You're just saying, Oh, you know, we don't want you to see uh, what's going on. That's like the opposite of the fraud uh, approach, right? The fraud approach is bump and dump is just like talking about the results, which are not necessarily there, but they showcase, you know, transparency or something like that. So it's really the opposite. And, and I think that if you look at the sec comments, um, that people provided, uh, for the ruling, so, before they came up with the uh somewhat vague uh response to all of this the, there was a lot of comments from skilled otc investors who argued very very well that uh you know the the uh, the ruling would be completely misguided and that uh, there's a lot of um, fine companies uh fine companies even with fine corporate governance that are just you know trading in the uh dark space because they don't want to spend more money on um, <clears throat> on SEC reports and so on and so forth. So uh, I think that uh, you know, if if anyone is really interested, they can go through the comments and they can find people that you know are you know superstars in the OTC space. People like Jim Revest and and these guys who have been um, doing this for for a long time and they know what they're doing and they know uh, that there is opportunity in the dark market for for many reasons and that this ruling is not really that great. So. I mean, from this technical sp- standpoint, let's see, I, I don't really have a crystal ball, but I think David has a very good grasp of what could happen. Um, and if it means uh, additional hoops, I mean, I know that some people will just go through with it. Um, and, um, let's see what the SEC has to say. I mean, they, they, they had all the information from, uh, you know, uh, very seasoned OTC investors and they didn't really care too much about it. So let's see what happens, but, uh, it's an interesting market, to say the least, and it can create kind of uh, opportunity in the end. So, yeah, let's see what happens.
0: Well, I think we're, I think we're all in agreement that the goal of combating fraud is not going to work. Because the frauds are happy to report earnings and financials and book values. It's just that all those earnings, financials, and book values are fraudulent. And so they're going to put out news reports and they'll happily comply with whatever because they're going to break the rules and it doesn't matter. But the area that I think you touched on that's really key is it might also exasperate the companies that aren't fraudulent, but maybe have bad corporate governance in terms of the regard for minority shareholders. So do you think the companies, do you think it's going to become important more going forward that if a company chooses to stay on the gray market versus um, take this as an opportunity to start reporting more publicly as perhaps a sign that they care more about corporate governance or not? Is that something that might be more of a marker going forward than it has been in the past?
2: Mm, I think, yeah, that could happen with some companies where they they will choose to go current, maybe because they think that they they have some kind of duty to the minority holders um or perhaps maybe it's even just because they they want to like kind of trade the shares that they own themselves and think it's probably going to be better if they're they're kind of um current in their reporting but then equally um as jan mentioned a lot of these companies are small family-run companies and they, they don't they don't want to bear the cost of of having to um report with the sec and and go you know jump through all these hoops and spend all this money when they're not generating huge amounts of capital um so in that case they're probably not going to be too concerned i don't think it's the fact that the management is necessarily nefarious in nature and that they have kind of ill intent towards minority shareholders it's just the fact that they're they're a small company they've kind of they rarely get contacted by shareholders because they're on the otc markets um sometimes when i contact a company they're like they're really happy to talk to me but they'll they'll say they they haven't spoken to um another shareholder in years or that they'll say they don't have an investor relations department it's just kind of like one person like uh, the secretary i'll speak to um so yeah i think a lot of these companies they're, they're just kind of um they're focused on running the business um that they don't necessarily have ill intent towards minority shareholders, but they don't want to bear the costs of 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 becoming a public company. Now, so long as they they still trade, it's not necessarily the end of the world, as I mentioned earlier. I think if they if they end up on the gray markets, if you can still trade these stocks, which certain brokers will allow you to do, then I think there could be even more interesting value opportunities arising. Um, I mean, a really crazy one, which you guys will know about, which is uh, Sonics and Materials, uh, SEMA, it's S-I-M-A is the ticker symbol. That's one that Dan Shum found and that they were just kind of completely dark. Um, and then the share price had a huge run up because it turned out that they, they were sat on a lot of cash and they were massively undervalued. But they were on the grey market, so no one really knew about them. But behind that stock that's on the gray market that people have kind of left for dead is actually a really high quality company that's a leader within its field. Um, uh, they, they, they do like ultrasonic welding and that, the guy basically that started the company kind of invented this technique from what I've read. Um, so you'll find these really interesting companies. Um, and if people are willing to do the research and they're happy to trade stocks that are on the gray market, then I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, but obviously it's personal preference for what people uh, are, w- are willing to do. But I think any OTC investors that are already in this space or that are interested in this space know that it's it's um, it's um not like dealing in listed companies, but then you're not going to get the kind of returns that you see on the OTC markets if you're not willing to put in the work. Um, and I think a lot of small investors that are smart, that have a value kind of um, slant, uh, they're interested in, in looking for these kind of underfollowed companies that are, are, are really undervalued, um, and they're happy to hold them. You know, we're, we're not kind of, um, we're not like day traders where we're going to be kind of buying and selling these stocks. Like every other day, um, we're happy to hold them, you know, as Warren Buffett says, you know, if you're buying stocks that you're happy to hold for 10 years, then it doesn't matter if the markets, you know, if it's in a liquid market, it's not the end of the world.
0: So, um. One of the questions that can, I really, can I just can, yeah, I, go can ahead. I
1: just ask at one thing, you know a, a lot of times uh, there's also um, you know the companies don't even have precise financials themselves. I mean, there's a lot of like smaller trusts or smaller things that smaller asset plays that really don't even have to have like the most up-to-date. Um, financials assembled by themselves. Uh, you know, they might have like an overview of what's been coming coming in as income and so on and so forth. But balance sheet, for example, I remember talking to this guy in Texas uh, for uh, for one oil trust who said, "Well, you know, the shareholders haven't met for like ten years." Uh, they might end up meeting next year uh, and we might ask for like assessment of the assets that the trust owns, but shareholders don't want to spend money on this. So basically, like we don't really have the most up to date assessment of the wealth. So yeah, I mean, it is just a lot of things that are, you know, um, a lot of times not really not really knowable, even by the company itself. So that was just the kind of like peculiar example to all of the discussion
0: yeah that makes sense I mean when you're talking about companies like that might have a market cap of a million dollars or five million dollars i mean if you're if you have if you implement you know a hundred thousand dollar audit I mean that's a lot of money you know so it's it getting some of these financials can be an expensive exercise when the company is that small I think the area that I want to kind of end on with this one is what changes if any have you maybe made to your portfolio or to your buying and selling habits since this announcement and and to frame that i mean for me when this announcement came out you know i i owned two companies that were not current in their reporting um you know basically the red stop sign type companies in otc markets um and the i had an immediate thought i was like okay well what do i do because i know that This is new information that just came out and the market will eventually respond to it. So when they go gray market or they go expert market in nine months, um, the liquidity could drop off or something like that. So I basically said, okay, I have a short period of time here where I might be able to liquidate a position before the market is ready to do so. And so for one of the positions, I ended up liquidating the position, and I put all the money into the other position because I thought it was more favorable, and I thought it would eventually, of the two, be the one more likely to start reporting current information. Have either of you made any changes to your portfolio in light of the new information? Um, Or has that caused you to change the companies that you'd be willing to put in money into? Or is it just business as usual?
2: Uh, Well, for me, it's business as usual. Um, I specialize in looking at special situations, which generally have a shorter workout time. So that's not really a concern for those. And then the other companies that I invest in that are dark, I'm investing for the long haul with these companies. So I'm kind of, I always invested, I like to look for companies that are dark, but I think at some point in the future, things are going to be much better for the company. And it's far more likely that they'll they'll be a, a reporting company. So I'm happy to hold these even if they're kind of sat in my portfolio and I'm, I'm struggling to trade them. I'm not looking to kind of move in and out of these stocks um, frequently. Uh, I'm not going to have like a high turnover of, with my portfolio or anything like that. So I'll be happy to hold these companies if they end up on the grey markets. That's not a concern for me because um, valuation at that point is kind of what's important to me really is kind of well either the underlying assets you know that back the the stock uh so i'm not too concerned about the share price um so it doesn't really matter if there isn't like a current bid ask on on the stock um as long as i know what's backing the you know the share price uh backing sorry the the you know the stock in terms of assets then that's the the most important thing to me and then with the other companies that i talked about earlier where there's some kind of change taking place um In the first place, I was never really investing based upon the idea that there was some kind of asset value behind the company. I'm investing based upon it being a turnaround play. So it's a special situation that may take a lot longer to play out. So, again, I'm happy to hold these companies if they end up on the grey markets. Um, I think it's more of a concern for people that probably trade more frequently. Um, They may think, well, do I really want to continue to hold stocks that are going to be in the grey market when I can't move in and out of them? Uh, as frequently as I would like to. Um, it's funny, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Nicholas Davas. Um, uh, he he started out buying these kind of really liquid companies and he would look on, I think he even looked on the pink sheets, um, but he stopped trading them because he, he, he was a frequent trader. He liked to be nimble and move in and out of these companies very quickly. So obviously, depending on what your style is, then you, you'll have to make that decision. But personally I've not really changed my approach or or you know, rebalanced my portfolio or anything. I've um I've just continued as I am with buying these these same kind of uh companies that have been left for dead.
0: What about you, Ian? Yeah,
1: so um I would I would I would agree with David. I think it um it depends on on your style and depends on what your liquidity situation and um you know what kind of uh, portfolio you're running what's what's the percentage of the portfolio in the dark companies and again how uh, how you know confident are you with with holding them in the long run actually may i ask trey which one did you sell the dark company because i guess that's okay to share
0: yeah um it was uh northfield precision
1: Ah, uh, okay fair enough um, the one that I could never convince—I uh, could never
0: mm-hmm. convince David to buy it, but uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for example, with this, you know, with this, it's a manufacturing company, right? Um, you know, it's. Uh, it's, um, I think a lot of times if it's a, you know, active business that has been, you know, going for, for some time and, uh, you know, it, it, um, has some sort of history and it also doesn't have like a completely bleak feature. If a future, I think for people that are okay with, uh, with, uh, you know, holding it for a while, I think it's, I think it's pretty okay. Um, but I, I can completely understand that, you know, some people just want to make sure that they are liquid and that they're a bit more liquid and that they can manage the position. So, um, it's just a matter of kind of how adventurous the investor is. And I personally hold some, some dark stocks. I don't invest as much into new ones. But that's more a matter of my current research focus, which is short selling rather than, uh, rather than OTC. Uh, so basically, um, I will I will keep on holding and these are positions here yeah, which I'm happy to hold like uh, five, ten years, whatever, because the catalyst might eventually be there and um, uh, might eventually happen, and uh, that's how I'm going to get the money. Um, let's say the hard way rather than just uh, selling the uh, selling the shares uh, on the on the market, for example. So a lot of times, uh, you know, um, I think it's about looking at the catalyst and um and making sure that there is a possibility of some sort of exit or a dividend or something like that where the management you know you're in touch with the management i think it's it would be foolish to to hold dark stocks which you know, you know, you have no contact with the company and still you have some sort of meaningful position. Um, uh, so that's one thing, but I would also, you know, I mean, for the adventure, adventurous investors, you know, I mean, uh, my, one of my brokerage accounts is just littered with like so many small dark companies where I own like a share or two, you know, and, um, and I'm just like seeing what happens. Um, so you can also do that if you're, you know, into, into, um, actually taking, um, um the updates and, and being up to date with the market, you can also do one thing that you just you just i don't know spend um two thousand dollars or something like that on buying uh, single shares of many of the dark companies which are not necessarily let's say the the most expensive ones but still two thousand uh, bucks usually it's okay to buy uh, some of the most interesting ones and 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 there you go you have a portfolio which uh, you know might eventually lead you to some more opportunities um so um there is that but of course, also I like to point out that I was offered shares over Seeking Alpha Chat uh, with Mills Music Trust. It was it was a, such a shame that I didn't take the deal. It was it was so it was it was a good deal. Uh, the guy basically his um, father passed away and he found out that he has uh, you know a bunch of uh, shares of Mills Music Trust. Uh, in, in, in his name and, uh, the physical certificates, right. We're talking about. And so he basically, uh, found me on seeking Alpha because I found, uh, I wrote about the company and, um, and I was like, Oh yeah, it's a good buy. You know, I, I own some, and I think the dividend is really cool and blah, blah. And uh, he reached out to me and said, Hey, do you know, do you, do you, like I have, I don't know, um, uh, 10,000 or whatever the num- number was of, uh, $10,000 um, worth of the shares. Like, would you be interested in buying that? I can give you a discount to market price. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, 10,000, that's not, that's not for me right now. I don't have that much, uh, that much money to invest into, you know, a single stock. And, um and he went away and I think I just routed him to someone else and he might as well uh, sold it I don't really know but so there's always a way to get rid of your share so uh, yeah seeking off a chat could be one ways um, but yeah so um it's it's a very peculiar market and I guess um it has very specific risks and people who are not familiar with the market should be very careful when starting out and should read a lot about it and and it's not really for everyone and especially due to the liquidity and so on and so forth um but I think the that the ruling uh, it might change uh the market uh, but i think people will still still invest and um, yeah people will still jump through whatever hoops to find investment opportunities so that's kind of about it
0: well it's, it sounds like i'm the only one then that uh makes any changes based on it but you know sometimes when you when you you feel like you need to make a change and that that's usually a good sign i think that that you probably should or that something uh should change in your process if if you feel a strong effort there you have to understand your feelings and how they affect your mindset Um, fortunately it's, it's, I, you know, the stock I put it in is up 40% or 30% since I did that uh, six weeks ago. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with the decision, but, uh, you know, you never know how these things end up working out. Um, so I think that really covers a lot of the key topics we wanted to address today. I want to give each of you time to, um, both, you know, put a little stamp on and final promotion for the OTC database manual. Um some final statements with it um and and basically anywhere else you want people to find you or follow you um and then we'll end on we have a a special discount code for exclusive for our listeners where they can use to sign up and get a discount for the service. so how about we start first with you david and then we'll we'll um give you in the last word, and then I'll close this out hmm
2: well, I think the Database we've created is a, a really interesting product and I think the price point is really reasonable. Um, obviously with the discount, it's even more reasonable. Um, it's something, you know, it's an area that me and Jan are really passionate about, uh, the OTC space. Um, we've both independently been looking at, at this space for, you know, several years now. Um, and all the hard work that we've put in with, you know, working through the OTC markets, stock by stock, um, basically just kind of removes a lot of the work that uh people have to do because obviously i know a lot of people they have families they've got day jobs they don't have time Or some people are just not really interested in like going through like thousands and thousands of stocks to try and find like this one interesting company amongst all this garbage um me and jan are obviously wired a certain way that we're like willing to do this stuff um but I think, yeah, we've created a really interesting database. And I think the, the comments section that we've got allowing people to interact with one another is a really good feature. Um, and our plan is basically just to kind of build up the user base and create a real community around the product. And then uh, also we're just going to keep adding more stocks um, and additional information. And if people request you know, other features to be added, we'll be happy to do that. Um, and if people want to reach out and contact us then they can get access to the manual it's spendersmanual.com and um, they can also reach me on twitter um, at elementary value and then if people are interested in looking at some of the strange companies that I write up that trade on the OTC markets they can find my blog which is elementaryvalue.com and I write up some of the companies so going forward I'm going to be Probably writing up some of the companies that appear on the database because there's there's quite a few interesting ones that I've actually come across which I wasn't aware of initially that um, was on Jan's list, and likewise Jan's looking at some that I've I've uncovered that we've added. So I think yeah, overall there's a, quite an interesting list of companies for people to work through, and that's um, the list should grow over time not to a huge amount, I wouldn't have thought, because obviously there's a limit to the amount of interesting companies, but obviously there's always companies that are delisting and there's companies that are cross-listing from abroad. So there's always things happening in the OTC space and it's a really exciting and vibrant uh, area for small investors to look at.
0: Okay, Jan, how are you?
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I would like to add. You know, I mean, the the access uh, with the discount cost uh, co- uh, discount code costs about 150 bucks per year. Um, in that year, um, I think you will be able to find some nice stocks that will make you that subscription back. Um, I think you know we have a really a, var- uh, a wide variety of stocks. You know, from many different opportunities. So if you're not that much into obscure stuff. Uh, don't you worry. There is some stuff uh, for that um, for you in that in community banks or SEC reporting companies. If you are really into the liquid illiquid and dark companies i think there is all, 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 also this stuff for you so i think it's just a broad um, coverage of the otc market you know that uh, the otc investors should just have access to um, i am not aware of any other uh, service that would provide such uh, such a thing again you can do your research on your own you can go through old blogs you can go through blogs of david you can scour my seeking alpha where i write, write about a, about like 70 or 80 stocks or so mm, but there is not not database like that where you can really get a good coverage of the OTC market straight away and you can kind of start researching whatever you want. So I think that's, um, that's kind of the key, uh, key thing to remember that, you know, the access is reasonable and uh, you can find investment opportunities straight, um, straight away, basically. And within a year, you will also see how the database will expand uh, within uh terms of the features also the stocks and so on and so forth so we have a lot of things um uh, ready and uh, we have a lot of things uh, in the works as well that we are very excited about so i think it's, it's just um, uh, a great place for otc uh, otc investors um if you want to uh, contact me uh also you can go to twitter uh just, that's just my name jan svendam and um, of course uh, on svendamanual.com you can get access to the database um but um yeah that's i think uh I think most important uh, important things about the database and where people can contact me and and um, and David. So thanks again, uh, Trey, for inviting us on the on the show. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I'm always always more than happy to talk about ODC stocks with anyone. So feel free to reach out. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, thank you both for for joining us here. I mean, I think that it's really important to reiterate. I think the the good value that is being offered with this manual. Um, so I mean, your normal price is about one hundred and eighty dollars. Um, for a year subscription. And we have this exclusive discount code, um, Trey, T-R-E-Y. And if you use that code T-R-E-Y as your coupon code, you'll get a discount on your annual subscription price. And that is, I think, very valuable to you because when you're talking a, a just over $150 a year um, with the discount, you're you're not talking about that much money in terms of investment capital. So if we're talking, you know, the average US investor, uh, or the the median income in the U S is $60,000 a year. That's $30 an hour over a course of year. So if you can save five hours of your time, um, using this database then, that, then that's worth it. Um, and even more so if you, you know, you earn more money than that. And I think the other piece here is, you know, even if you're investing a really small amount of money, um, you know, starting out, um, with, say, let's say $10,000 in capital, all you need to do is find a way to earn an extra 2% by, um, investing in companies like this and having that as a good starting point. Um, And of course, as you have larger sums of capital, you really get leverage over having access to new and different ideas. So I wanted to bring both Yen and David on the show because I think they've presented investors with a good solution on how to find stock ideas. And I think how to find stock ideas is a common frequently asked question that I get from investors. So I appreciate the two of you coming on today to share this with my audience because I think that not only are you promoting your own product, I think you're providing a good service to the investing marketplace, especially individual investors where they can find an informational, um, advantage and they can use a smaller starting point to really dive down into the types of companies that, um, you know, intelligent, hardworking investors like yourselves are finding and finding interesting. And it's good to use that as a starting point for their own process, if only because they will learn more by doing so. So thank you both for coming on the show. Um, I'm glad you've both been able to be here. And um, I hope we can do this again in the future.
2: Thanks, Trey. Thanks.
0: The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors.